is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation despite the fact that both of our two most recent presidents have mishandled classified documents. Okay, that's a very, very clear. But only one of them got those uh, classified documents wet and damp. Who says so? Uh, it's Donald Trump, and it wasn't him who got the uh, papers wet and damp. It was, he says, Joe Biden. We will get to that latest aspect of the controversy and to a brand new controversy involving uh, abuse of a veteran and a veteran dog uh, alleged against, uh, well, guess who? George Santos. Uh, that and more coming up. But first, the end of the world coming up, the end of the economic world, some devastating economic impacts if they don't do something about raising the debt ceiling. And a terrific perspective on that issue was uh, put forward in a piece today in Politico. The piece is by John Fiery, who has worked uh, for a very long time, uh, longer than anybody else, as a principal communications aide to a speaker of the House of Representatives. He knows the House extremely well, and he wrote a piece about the conservative rebels who have an agonizing choice on the debt ceiling. Uh, John Fury, who was uh, an aide to Speaker Dennis Hastert and uh, is a uh, conservative Republican. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. It's a great pleasure. Okay, uh, first of all, you accept the general consensus view that the debt ceiling, which has officially been reached today, uh, really does need to, uh, even with some conditions attached to it, it needs to be raised, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, and listen, I've been in Washington only 30 years, and this happens, you know, pretty much every other year where you have raised the debt ceiling. It's not a particularly great vote for members, but I don't know of any member who's actually lost his race or her race because they voted to increase the debt ceiling. And the fact is, if you don't increase the debt ceiling, people don't get their Social Security checks. And so, you know, that's the that's the problem. Um, you know, the biggest source of the increase in spending outside of what Joe Biden has done over the years and what Donald Trump did before him um, was, you know, is, is entitlement spending. And no one really wants to cut entitlement spending because that's spending that goes to your grandma or, 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 or you if you're close to 60 like I am. <laughs> and so yeah, I had a really interesting conversation with my father once when I was working for Denny Hastert, and we were, you know, thinking about reforming Social Security. And he said to me, and I'm going to clean up the language a little bit, he said, uh, if you freaking touch my Social Security, I'll freaking kill you. <laughs> so I learned my lesson about Social Security and politics real quick. But, you know, that's, that's the bottom line why you have to increase the debt limit. It's not pleasant. It's not a great vote. It doesn't, it's not a good look. We have way too much debt. And I'm glad that the, uh, the, the Freedom Caucus and the guys who gave a hard time to Kevin McCarthy uh, for their votes, I'm glad they're bringing this up as an issue. But they have to be realistic about what they can achieve. And, you know, that we don't have as much power as we'd like uh, from a conservative Republican standpoint. I wish we had more. Well, you, you also explain in your piece uh, the desire, and this was very much the case for the Freedom Caucus, to go back to regular order, 
to go back to running the House so there's not so much power concentrated in the Speaker. And certainly people have said that because of his agreements that he made in order to get himself elected Speaker, that uh, Kevin uh, McCarthy is going to be one of the least powerful speakers on, on record. But um, what about the process that they're supposed to go through now? Because, as you yeah, point yeah. out, in, in regular order, they would have to go through a whole raft of committees. It would take a great deal of time. Is there some shortcut that they can take while maintaining the promises to the Freedom Caucus that could actually get this job done so we don't have a uh, an economic catastrophe that would damage uh, the economic interests of just about everybody in the country. Yeah, there's a, definitely a shortcut. You could just bring it right up to the House floor, uh, have the Rules Committee have no amendments, and, and then you could pass it and pass it to the Senate. But I don't think the Freedom Caucus is going to go for that. Uh, I think what what they want is they want some real spending cuts to be attached to it. And, you know, the president uh, has said he's not going to even negotiate on that, which is, you know, not not a particularly smart decision by the president. I think that ultimately you have to negotiate. But I think that one of the lessons I've learned over my years in Washington is you, you, you can't take hostages that, you, you know, you, you can't shoot. And you can't really, you know, decide. And we've seen this before. You can't decide that you're going to hold your breath and not going to pass something. Because if you do that... Well, you don't pay the military either, right? We just uh, lost him. Uh, the difficulty is that you're talking not only about people like John's father, who uh, was ready to kill over keeping his Social Security. You're talking about millions and millions of Social Security recipients. And uh, you're talking about national security. And obviously a blow to national security of a major uh, recession, of a major downgrading uh, of the country's uh, credit worthiness. Part of what it does is we are now paying about $400 billion a year, just an in interest on the national debt. And that is a tremendous amount of money that would go up very substantially if they downgrade our debt. Uh, uh, John, you are reconnected. Yes, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what the, I was talking and making lots of sense, and then all of a sudden I noticed I wasn't talking to anybody. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the issue here is that the Freedom Caucus has to unify be, behind the rest of the Republicans, and they need to come up with a strategy to negotiate. If, they, if they're divided, then what, what's going to happen is that the, the Senate's going to pass something, Mitch McConnell will pass something, and then the, the Republicans will be left holding the bag. And I think what will happen is some moderate Republicans will end up teaming with a bunch of Democrats, and then you don't get any spending cuts. So the most important thing for Republicans is they have to unite. That sounds like absolutely sensible and the right approach. I, I, I believe that about an hour ago there was a clarification in the White House uh, saying that, yes, the White House is willing to talk about spending cuts. The only thing is we don't want that formally tied to raising the debt ceiling. So it's a way of uh, him getting out of the uh, ridiculous statement he had made before is we, we have nothing to negotiate. There's nothing to say. We're not going to budge one inch because that's a ridiculous position as well. 
In in terms of getting to this regular order, uh, what's the importance of that? Why, why is that a good thing for the future of the House of Representatives? And the number one issue is that every member gets a chance to be part of the process and they get the chance to represent their constituents. I think what's happened over the last several years, and this happened, this happened when I was working for the Speaker, is all the power gets concentrated in four or five people in the top leadership, and the members don't get a chance to really express their their desires or work through the process. So if you don't you know, have an amendment process where people can offer amendments, the, the House can vote on those amendments, and you have you know the American people watch their, their their democracy in action. People just kind of lose faith faith because they they see a, a big deal being cut behind closed doors, and they don't feel like they're anywhere part of it. So I think that regular order is where you go through a committee process, you have hearings, you have markups, you go to the rules committee, you make, make amendments in order, and then you have a big robust debate on the House floor, and every member gets a chance to represent their constituents. Sometimes they, they vote in a partisan way, and sometimes they, they develop bipartisan coalitions. I think that's the healthiest way to get the democracy back on track, and I think it will restore faith in, in, in the Congress, which is desperately needed. The approval rating for Congress is, is about 13%, and so that's just not, that's not very good. And uh, I guess especially not when uh, you just have Republicans for the first time in a little while taking over a House of Congress. The piece by John Fear, it's linked at our website at michaelmedved.com about the agonizing choice on the debt ceiling. We'll be right back. Michael Medved. You is the grooviest. And on the uh, Michael Medved show, uh, there is a, a new candidate for the Congress of the United States. He's running for the seat uh, that is presumably going to be vacated by Adam Schiff. Why? Because Adam Schiff is expected to join that Donnybrook, along with all the other Democratic candidates, including Katie Porter. And uh, there's Barbara Lee, who is running already, and Adam Schiff. They're running for Dianne Feinstein's seat. And Dianne Feinstein is not retired yet. She hasn't, uh, it's not time for her. She's only 89 years old. And uh, she's assumed to retire. But running for the seat is Ben Savage, who you may remember as the childhood star of the uh, series on ABC TV called Boy Meets World. So uh, now Ben Savage, uh, former TV star, is uh, going to be running to replace Adam Schiff. Of course, Ben Savage running as a Democrat is California, where <laughs> is getting closer and closer to being a one-party state. Alas. Uh, meanwhile, a Republican from uh, a state uh, that um, uh, he's sometimes described as a Republican from L.A., but he's not. He's from Louisiana, uh, the abbreviation being L.A. Uh, Senator John Kennedy described the impending debt ceiling crisis. This is clip 11. If you're going to have a party, you have to pay the band. If you're going to borrow money, you have to pay it back. That's true as a moral principle and a principle of practicality. And you, you, don't, you don't have to be a senior at Caltech to figure that out. Now here's the truth part. 
Congress had a spending party. More specifically, the House Democrats, not the House Republicans, the Senate Democrats and a whole lot of Senate Republicans had a spending party. I didn't vote to do it. I, I would have been happy with a couple of beers after work. All right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but we will see about the negotiation and some cuts in spending. Uh, th there also is a um, uh, a more, uh, I think, balanced adult responsible take than has been provided by President Biden, who's basically has said we're not going to negotiate. No negotiation has to be a clean debt ceiling increase, and then. Other people from the Freedom Caucus and uh, the rebel contentious uh, uh, group in the House of Representatives who seem to be okay with the idea of a default or continuing uh, to not authorize an increase in the debt ceiling, which is necessary. It's money we've already spent. Uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, said today the U.S. will never default on its debt. That's encouraging because it's, you, you, you can't do that. You do permanent damage to the country. Uh, the minority leader in the U.S. Senate now said uh, today he's confident the U.S. will never default on its debt and that he is not concerned a financial crisis could be on the horizon. McConnell told reporters in his home state that while the push to raise the debt ceiling is always a rather contentious effort, he believes lawmakers will succeed at doing so before the Treasury exhausts its extraordinary measures in June. No, I would not be concerned about a financial crisis, uh, McConnell told a gaggle of reporters following an event at the University of Louisville to discuss disaster relief funding. In the end, he said, I think the important thing to remember is that America must never default on its debt. It never has and it never will. Came awfully close in 2011, though, and ended up seeing its credit downgraded. He said, we'll end up in some kind of negotiation with the administration over what the circumstances or conditions under which the debt ceiling could be raised. Okay, this is measured. It is responsible. It is deeply encouraging. There's also a message from uh, President Trump. This is uh, part of what uh, is being reported. It, it, it says in uh, the National Journal that President Trump is looking to regain control over his powerful social media accounts. Trump's campaign is formally petitioning Facebook's parent company to unblock his account at Facebook after it was locked in response to January 6th insurrection. Trump also plans to begin tweeting again soon, according to a person familiar with his thinking. He hasn't tweeted since he regained access to his account on November 19th. Trump is um, also lashing out at religious conservatives who have declined to endorse his third presidential campaign. And he released a pre-recorded video today uh, on social media. Of course, a lot of this coming through Truth Social and uh, uh, criticizing Biden not about his stubbornness on the debt ceiling, not on anything pertaining to Ukraine or the economy or basically the uh, falling confidence in the Congress. This is on that 
crucial issue of uh, documentary theft, allegedly, of uh, having unauthorized classified documents. This is uh, President Trump concerning President Biden. That's clip A. At the very same moment when my ultra-secure Mar-a-Lago home was raided by the FBI, Joe Biden was harboring classified documents in his China-funded Penn Center and his unsecured garage, right on the floor, piles of paper. The floor was probably very wet and damp, as many garages are. Yet while I'm being persecuted by Trump-hating special counsel, I call them special prosecutors, but this one in particular is a prosecutor and a Trump-deranged person. They prosecute all sorts of things. He prosecuted war crimes and war criminals. Joe Biden, in the meantime, is being given white glove treatment by a establishment hack who tried to cover up the Russia hoax. He actually tried to cover it up. It's a travesty. Okay, and uh, I, I, again, uh, he just can't resist talking about the comparison between himself and Joe Biden. We will get to uh, uh, President Trump speaking about what he calls the injustice department and uh, why it is that he handled the documents properly uh, and that uh, Joe Biden did not. There is also the claim that um, that we all know that uh, George Santos stole money back in Brazil by uh, getting a bunch of blank checks from an ailing elderly client who his mother was supposed to be taking care of and then forging checks to buy wardrobe. But now there's a claim that he stole from a dog. How did that work? Uh, we will get to that as well coming up on the Medved Show. More of Michael Medved in a moment. Preview, I guess, of uh, what we should expect if President Trump is successful in getting his Facebook account back and he again rebuilds his presence on social media, not just Truth Social, uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from him and, of course, as part of his campaign. Uh, there's also something that is uh, fascinating, it seems to me. You may remember that <clears throat> several months ago, there was a decision by a lot of the leaders of the Republican National Committee that uh, they didn't want to participate in debates. They thought that the whole way that debates were set up with the uh, so-called nonpartisan committee uh, to handle debates, uh, there is this report from the New York Times. The RNC has asked several major TV networks, including CNN, a regular Republican boogeyman to consider sponsoring debates, an early sign that the party is making plans for a contested presidential primary. The debates would probably begin this summer, about the same time that they run out of the extraordinary measures on the debt ceiling, and Republicans are casting a wide net. Party officials also are in talks with executives from ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox News along with more niche networks like Newsmax and News Nation. It seems to me very unlikely that they would choose to put themselves in that niche uh, 
when they're actually trying to win an election in 2024. Uh, President Trump, uh, to win that election, I, I would, would seem to me that the making an issue uh, and making a huge issue of the handling of classified documents doesn't work particularly well for Donald Trump, but he's doing his best. Here is uh, the former president talking on a special pre-recorded video released on social media today. Here's the former president uh, talking about the crimes of his successor. That would be President Biden. Listen. Biden lied to the American people and weaponized the Justice Department, or as I call it, the Injustice Department, to go after me for the very crime he actually committed. And he wasn't president, so he didn't have the right to declassify, as I did. The difference is that while I did everything right, I did nothing wrong. Biden did everything wrong. The boxes hoax should be dropped immediately against President Trump. Okay, it should be dropped immediately. There is a special counsel who has been appointed. And yes, there's one for Biden as well. But uh, the idea that it will be dropped immediately or that he even, even if he wins election, uh, it would be very, very difficult for him to, um, to get out of this thing without a, a significant investment of time and money and judicial confrontation and, of course, political confrontation. I, I find it one of the most depressing things in the world to think that these two old geezers, that President Trump and Joe Biden, will be debating who handled documents most uh, irresponsibly. I have complete possession of my faculties, physical and mental. <laughs> and uh, he was at, well, how old was Strom Thurmond when he, he left the U.S. Senate? And he left the U.S. Senate to go on to his reward. Uh, but I, he was he was close to 100, I believe. Uh, he was even older than Dianne Feinstein and, uh, and Chuck Grassley. Chuck Grassley just won re-election. Meanwhile, a guy who's only 34 but has already made uh, a lot of controversy it is uh, George uh, Santos. And a couple of things that are fascinating about George Santos, uh, one of the things that he said during his campaign, and he said it repeatedly, was that his mother, whose name was Fatima DeVolder, and this is one of the bizarre things, he claimed that his mother was of Jewish ancestry. Fatima is an Islamic name. That's one of the names of, I think, one of the, the youngest wives of the prophet. But in any event, Fatima de Volder, Fatima de Volder uh, George Santos said she was inside one of the World Trade Center towers when they were attacked on September 11, 2001. And that it was a miracle that she got out alive, that she survived the attack when she was in one of those towers that was attacked. But immigration records actually indicate that Santos's mother wasn't in the United States on that day or in that year. The congressman's mother, Fatima de Volder, applied for a visa to enter the United States from her home country of Brazil in February of 
2003, so nearly two full years after the uh, attacks on the U.S. On that application, she stated she had not been in the United States since 1999. So for four years, she, she wasn't there, including the period of time she was supposed to have been in the Twin Towers. Uh, Don Lemon also did a, a, a moving interview, actually, with a, uh, a veteran named Rich Ostoff, who uh, actually said he considered suicide after George Santos allegedly stole his dog's charity funds. Here's the story, clip one. I mean, I, I don't want you to ever hurt anybody like you hurt me again, George. And, and nobody else should ever have to go through that. I almost killed myself when that dog died. That's why I'm here. I don't want him to be able to do this again. My, my opinion of humanity was very, very extremely diminished, crashed into the floor. And the outpouring I've seen over the last two days from people commenting on my story online, especially on Facebook and um, YouTube, everybody that is positive about this. I've seen, not seen a single troll. Um, people want to give me money, they want to give me another service dog, they want to help me with dog food and stuff like that, and they have really brought me back up with my value and my, my, my insight and humanity again. Uh, George wrecked it with these people, with their hearts and what they've been offering to me. I trust people again. Were you able to pay the bills and all of that? I had to panhandle to have the dog euthanized and uh, cremated. Thank you. Thank you. And listen, this never, don't take your life, I'm sure you know that. Uh, okay, this is a long story, and it involves the uh, the phony uh, pet charity that uh, that George Santos was able to set up. One of his many many dubious undertakings. It uh, was called uh, the uh, Friends of Pets uh, United, and. Um, the, the idea that uh, it uh, concerning this this dog who was a service dog uh, for this wounded uh, veteran that uh, Santos stole about three thousand uh, dollars. Jake Tapper also concerning challenges in the new Congress asked uh, Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who's definitely a rising star in the party. She's from South Carolina how she will manage as a veteran of our armed services, how she will manage to work with a 9-11 uh, denier like Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're both on the uh, powerful oversight committee, which is responsible for various congressional investigations. Uh, we will get to that exchange in a moment. And also there was a report today and uh, we're still trying to find out what the substance was. There apparently was an extremely angry confrontation between two stars of the what's been called the New Right. Lauren Boebert, who is usually packing, uh, was in a confrontation in a bathroom with, well, we'll tell you who she was confronting, coming up on The Medved Show. Your outlet for outrage. Where's the outrage? I, I'm shook up, and you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be driving down the road listening to all this. I'm going to wreck the car and sue Michael Mudd. Okay, don't sue and don't wreck the car. 
The Michael Medved Show. Okay, it's winter time, and that shouldn't stop you from going. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, talking about Nancy Mace, who uh, won fame initially as the very first woman ever to graduate from the elite military college, the Citadel. Uh, Nancy Mace uh, spoke to Jake Tapper on CNN, and she was asked how she's going to manage to work on the same committee, the all-powerful investigative committee, the oversight committee of the House that's headed by James Comer of Kentucky. How is she going to be able to work on that committee together with Marjorie Taylor Greene? who's a believer in QAnon, a denier of 9-11. She believes that uh, there, were, there wasn't a plane that crashed into the Pentagon. It was something else. How is she going to be able to work with somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene? Here's the exchange. Listen. Obviously, it is an incredibly important job of Congress to provide oversight over the executive branch. But I wonder if some of these individuals, I mean, you once posted a bat, a poop, and clown emoji in reference to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, <laughs> I did. Uh, uh, I, I'm wondering if that's going to make your job tougher of, of important oversight. Well, I think the same thing could be said for the left. We saw on the 117th Congress that members of the squad who've gotten in trouble for perhaps anti-Semitic remarks like Ilan Omar, uh, those members were on the Oversight Committee. But I'll tell you, we've done a lot of great work. In fact, the last bill that I passed out of Oversight was with Congressman Ro Khanna out of California. It was a quantum computing bill that the president signed into law at the end of the year. So there are great opportunities to get good things done with the right leadership in place. And I do believe in Jamie Comer as our chairman. I am going to be handed a gavel. I will have a chairmanship. I'll be one of five or six committee chairmen on the Oversight Committee. And I plan on working hard, as I always have, in trying to guide um, what we do on oversight in that direction. Uh, okay. Uh, that's an optimistic uh, version of uh, what is likely to happen. Uh, there's, there's also this, that a, um, uh, a report from National Journal says that when it comes to the House, the um, uh, McCarthy has to keep his tenuous hold on power. And they talk about George Santos, who was seen on C-SPAN, cozying up to Freedom Caucus hardliners such as Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and Lauren Boebert, all of whom are no stranger to feeling ostracized by the Republican conference and creating chaos within the ranks. With McCarthy's razor-thin Republican majority, the new speaker can't afford to alienate a member like Santos and possibly push him to oppose McCarthy on key votes. Even with multiple investigations pending and calls for his own, from his own conference to hold Santos accountable, McCarthy's hands are tied. It sounds like a political cartoon in the making. Uh, speaking of a political cartoon, uh, Joe Biden has announced he will not announce his reelection bid before the State of the Union. Uh, I think that there's two aspects to that thinking. This uh, was reported by NBC, confirmed by the White House, that um, 
Number one, he is assuming that the State of the Union address will be a big reset, showing how vigorous he is and how ready he is for all sorts of political fights in the days ahead. That's one thing. And the other is that uh, the idea is that if he were to announce that he is not running before the State of the Union address, people wouldn't pay much attention to that particular address. People have paid attention to an alarming case here in the Seattle area, and it really is kind of disgusting. Uh, The story begins, a bikini barista was working alone at a drive-through coffee shop in uh, Auburn, Washington, around 5 a.m. this week when a pickup truck driver tried to abduct her through the drive through window. This is the way it was reported by Cairo 7 News. Listen. A man accused of trying to kidnap a bikini barista in Auburn, making his first appearance in front of a King County judge today, the order that he be held on a half-million-dollar bail. The King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office has identified that man as Matthew William Darnell. Prosecutors argued that Darnell is a danger to the community, saying there is probable cause for attempted kidnapping in the second degree with sexual motivation and assault in the fourth degree. The judge agreed with that. Now, Auburn police arrested Darnell at his home just before 12 o'clock yesterday. The video police shared of the incident. You're looking at it now. It shows the man pulling up to the window just after 5 Monday morning, grabbing the barista's arm, trying to drag her outside using a looped zip tie. Now, thankfully, that woman was able to get away. Darnell is currently in jail, being held, as I mentioned, on that $500,000 bond. Prosecutors say they hope to receive the documents they need for a formal charging decision sometime this week. At the live desk, I'm Mel Thomas. Okay, police also said uh, that uh, the uh, perpetrator here, the one who has had the Chevrolet tattoo, uh, can uh, face additional charges. The uh, police officers applauded the barista in question in her bikini at 5 a.m. for doing an awesome job of protecting herself and fighting this person off. Uh, He was trying to tie her up and pull her through the window in the drive-through and into his truck. Uh, He noted baristas are in vulnerable positions because they're usually controlling those spots by themselves at early hours in the morning when it's dark outside. And because I do get up very early, 5 a.m. is very, very dark. And yes, this is a scary story. Also a scary story, uh, and a major Oscar contender, is the new movie Tar, which has nothing to do with asphalt or roadways. It has to do with a famous uh, female conductor, orchestral conductor, played magnificently, actually, by Kate Blanchett, who's a favorite for Best Actress. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Kate Blanchett gives another passionate and impressive Oscar-worthy performance in a new film about a world-renowned orchestral conductor who, for the first half of a very long film, manages to hide darker elements of her personality and her past. In Tar, now in theaters. You want to dance the mask? You must service the composer. you got to sublimate yourself, your ego, and yes, your identity. 
You must, in fact, stand in front of the public and God and obliterate yourself. But that process is in no way easy to watch. Writer-director Todd Field gives a complicated, tormented view of the difficult world of international classical music, but his central character comes across in the end as more appalling than admirable, with a fate that's sad but never rising to tragedy. Rated R for sexual scenes and references and some harsh language. Two and a half stars for Tar, full of artistry but short on satisfaction. And short on satisfaction, but very long in time. It's one of those films, Babylon is another, Avatar, The Way of Water is another, that have breached the three-hour divide and, and just go on and on and on. Now, that's also true for The Fablemans, which is another Oscar contender. It's more than three hours long. But uh, that film, partially because it's telling a family's story over a period of years, I think does a more successful job of holding the attention. Uh, To hold your attention uh, for tomorrow, uh, on Friday, we're going to be looking at a bunch of other movies. Uh, One of them is a melodramatic, uh, tear-jerking dog movie. Uh, starring Rob Lowe. No, he doesn't play the dog. He plays the father who reconciles with his son when they are searching for their lost dog. The dog's name is Gonker, by the way. Uh, There's also a remarkable film, which is a prequel to the film The Father that won an Oscar for Anthony Hopkins. He's in this new film called The Son, uh, together with Hugh Jackman, who is sensational and Laura Dern. It's about a troubled 17-year-old moving between his ex, uh, his divorced parents. And uh, then there is another film with Julianne Moore as a troubled social worker with a son who is obsessed with his website, but she has interest in another high school kid and it's not wholesome. Uh, The film is called When You Finish Saving the World. Uh, We're also going to be talking about what actually went on in that bathroom confrontation, supposedly, between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobbert. We'll take a look at the House Republicans introducing the Mount Rushmore Protection Act. Who are they protecting the mountain monument from? It's not from uh, forces of nature. And uh, that and much more, Grover Norquist on national sales tax and the debt ceiling, that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.